Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Flight Dead, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Zermini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. The free fall continues, a 23-6 loss in Seattle, which in some ways was the worst of all the five losses because the Jets had a second chance, they had a new lease on their playoff lives, and they still go out and lay an egg in Seattle. First play of the game, they give up a 60-yard run. They were flat. They were basically over at that point. And so here we are. The Jets are eliminated from the playoffs. It's the 12th straight year. No invite to the playoff party. That is the longest active drought in the NFL. And it is also the longest now in franchise history. And if you know anything about the Jets history, and I know you do, that says something. That speaks volumes. So as we go into a meaningless week 18, sifting through the rubble, everyone wants to know what changes, if any, are coming. The wild card, folks, is Woody Johnson, the owner. He's been around for two years since leaving for a four-year stint in the U.K. as the ambassador. And so... He's been kind of quiet, right? I mean, Woody has not made a hire or a fire since 2015 when he hired Todd Bowles and Mike McCagnan. He wasn't around for their firings. That was his brother Christopher who did that. His brother Christopher also hired Robert Sala and Joe Douglas. So Woody really hasn't fired anyone of significance since 2014 when he got rid of Rex Ryan and John Insick after that horrendous 4-12 season. And so everyone wondering, will Robert Sala and or Joe Douglas be fired, I think that's unlikely. I really do. I don't think the changes will be that significant, especially in Joe Douglas's case. I think he's less likely than Sala, and the only reason I'm separating the two is we may have a little bit of a conflict here with some coaching staff changes or potential changes. Um, So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Do I think, and I'll get into that in a second, by the way, do I think Sala deserves to return? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, it's been a disappointing five weeks. The Jets have basically choked their brains out here, losing five in a row. They were seven and four, seemingly headed to a playoff berth, and now the bottom's dropped out. But look at it from the big picture. Take a step back. They still have seven wins, which is slightly more than anyone expected. They've created an identity on defense. I think it's always important for a team to have an identity. And I do think they're moving in the right direction. You know, from where they were a couple of years ago at 2-14, and 14, I definitely think they're moving in the right direction. So unless Woody Johnson can, can secure a Sean Payton, and I think that's unlikely, I think it would be nuts to start over. I mean, give the man a quarterback and see what he can do. It's perpetual rebuilding. Do you really want to start over? I mean, you had two years of Gase, four years of Bowles. I mean, do you want to pull the plug and go through it again? I mean, I just don't think this organization is ready for that. I think there is some positive to build around. Um, However, 
However, and I say this, however, having covered the Jets for so many years, you know that nothing is really ever off the table, especially with this owner. Uh, by and large, Woody is mostly a patient guy. There have been a couple of instances in his ownership career where he hasn't been. And so you always wonder, you know this stuff going on behind the scenes. If Woody Johnson says to Sala, you got to fire Mike LaFleur or else. I mean, would he do that? I don't know. I hope he doesn't. I think he should just stay out of his out of this lane, let the football people decide that. But on Monday, Robert Sala's press conference, to me, was quite clear that he was saying he doesn't want to replace Mike LaFleur as his offensive coordinator. Uh, in my opinion, this wasn't just Robert Sala answering some questions by reporters. I think this was Robert Sala speaking indirectly to his owner. The way he answered some of these questions, restating the vision that they had two years ago about wanting to build with youth. I mean, listen to this quote from Robert Sala. To me, it says so much. I, I think in moments like these, this is year two of a commitment to go young everywhere, coaches, players, um, staff, everybody. And uh, it's so important to take a deep breath, keep the main thing, the main thing, and make sure we do a great job with regards to self-scout and evaluation and make sure that we're telling ourselves the truth rather than allowing narrative and panic to set in. And I also thought it was really interesting that Salah shared his own experience from San Francisco. After a couple of years there as the defensive coordinator, he was on the hot seat. He could have gotten canned, and he said, so he's been in Mike LaFleur's shoes. And again, in my opinion, this was Robert Sala saying to his owner, don't dump this young coach. You know, he he's a good coach. He can develop. And listen to the quote. To me, it was very telling. I, I've been in LaFleur's shoes. I've, I've told you guys a story in 2018, uh, second year as a coordinator on, uh, uh, on defense. And it would have been very easy for Kyle to fire me. Very easy. Just say, you know what? We went four and 12. You're the scapegoat. Get the heck out of the building. Um, but to his credit, he uh, he sat down. He uh, went over the the weeks following the season, uh, and uh, committed to committed to me. And and the rest is history. A couple of other interesting things that he said about how two years ago he and Joe Douglas arrived. You know, they were were together and locked arms. Interesting quote. Also about how this organization has a history of discarding players and coaches too soon, and they've enjoyed success elsewhere. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Is uh, he? I don't know who he's referring to. I don't. You know, you gonna blame the Jets for Geno Smith? I mean, Geno Smith. No one thought he was anything when you know he left a few years ago. I guess maybe you can say they gave up on Bill Belichick too soon, but we're really reaching into the archives for that one. But I think the point he was trying to make is. He's basically saying, Woody, let me ride this out with my coaching staff. I'll get this fixed. Now, could they butt heads over this? I mean, could it cost Salah his job? I don't know. Could Woody force his hand? Will Salah go down with the ship? These are all fascinating questions. It comes up in the NFL. It's the ugly side of the business. Salah's got a five-year contract. Would Woody Johnson fire him and eat? The last three years of the deal, I'm guessing it's about $5 million, so does he really want to eat $15 million? He's just getting Adam Gase off the payroll in a couple of weeks. Does he, does he really want to pick up a $15 million tab? Big questions coming along. I know a lot of fans want LaFleur out. They want him to go out and get a, an experienced coordinator like a Frank Reich. Gary Kubiak has also been mentioned, 
Kubiak with an obvious connection to Sala going way back to their days with the Houston Texans. However, Kubiak basically two years ago retired after a stint with the Vikings. Does he want to come out of retirement? Uh, it's hard to attract an experienced offense coordinator to come to this situation because, A, if they come in next year, it's going to be a make-or-break year. So you know it possibly could be a short-term job. And look at the quarterback situation. I mean, there's no guarantee this, the 23 starter is not on the team right now in all likelihood. So hard to attract in a coordinator unless they just have some sort of man crush on Zach Wilson. What coordinator would want to come here and take this over knowing it might be a one-year gig? So not the easiest thing in the world to replace a coordinator in this situation. You could also point to the Ulbrich situation. A year ago, everyone wanted him out because the defense was terrible. Well, they made vast improvement on defense this year. I think that's also another thing that Robert Sala could state in his uh, conversations with Woody Johnson if, in fact, they are going to have conversations about this situation. So very, very interesting. I've said in past podcasts, I think I've been told that Woody Johnson's been meddling a little bit. Don't know how that plays with the Sala camp. If I were Woody Johnson, I would stay out of the way. If Robert Sala wants to hitch his wagon to Michael LaFleur, let him do it under the proviso that he knows that next year, hey, it's make or break, guys. So I do think fans have a right to be concerned. I mean, in the last five weeks, grab just wrap your brains around this. In the last five weeks, there have been 340 offensive touchdowns scored in the NFL. The Jets have had only four, four touchdowns during this current losing streak. QBR, based on 150 minimum pass attempts, there are 38 quarterbacks who fall into that category. The Jets have the 31st quarterback, Mike White, 32nd, Zach Wilson, and 37th, Joe Flacco. The only player with a lower QBR than Flacco is Baker Mayfield. The Jets are 28th in total QBR, so they have getting poor play out of their quarterbacks this this year. Mike White had shown some good things until Sunday. I do believe he was compromised by his rib injury. He had a poor game. He didn't. Uh, he wouldn't admit that he was compromised. He didn't deny it either. Uh, I think the Jets are being politically correct there, but it was a clunker by Mike White. I think it was, like I said, when he's healthy and out there, I think the offense performs at a level that could be considered average in the NFL. So Mike LaFleur is capable of leading a functional offense when he's got a functional quarterback. When he doesn't, the offense goes in the tank. So these are questions that the Jets are going to have to evaluate. Like I said, I don't think the 23 starter is on this team. I think Jimmy Garoppolo, who will be a free agent, and Derek Carr are definite possibilities for the Jets. Carr is a better player. He's more durable by a lot. He started like 90-something games. But there's compensation involved. Chances are you will have to trade for him. So you're looking at a premium draft pick, maybe a two, maybe a one. With Jimmy Garoppolo, he'll be unrestricted. So it's just a contract. It's just money. Those are things the Jets are going to have to weigh. There have been conflicting reports on Zach Wilson's future. Fox Sports saying they're going to move on. NFL Network saying they're not going to shop him. Me, I think everything's on the table, and I don't buy for a second that the Jets are not going to shop him. That's word games. That's semantics. They said the same thing about Sam Darnold. Oh, we're not going to shop Sam, but they trade him anyway because we, quote, got an offer we couldn't refuse. So I do believe in my heart that Zach Wilson will not be the opening day starter in 23. However, I think there probably is a scenario where he can return as the backup 
The guy making that decision is Joe Douglas, the guy who drafted him. He's not going to want to cut bait after two years. It would be embarrassing if they trade Zach Wilson for something like a fifth-round pick and after using the second pick in the draft on him. Talk about getting pennies on the dollar. That would be pennies on the dollar for sure. So we've got a big quarterback decision coming up. We've got maybe some storm clouds brewing over potential staff changes. We've seen this movie before, folks. Over and over again, the regime changes. The storylines remain the same. When will it ever stop? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And it's Twitter time. I think we set a record for most questions this week. Pretty sure that is because the fan base is pretty fired up and angry. And the first question at JP Waxer, how much responsibility does the OC have for the development of a rookie quarterback? A lot, especially on a team where the head coach is defensive minded, like Robert Sala. The OC is basically the CEO of the offense and the quarterback position, not only the rookies, but the veterans as well. And quite honestly, Mike LaFleur has not done a good job with Zach Wilson, has not developed him properly. Now, how much of that is on the player? How much of that is on the coach? That's for the Jets to eventually figure out. You also raise the question about adjusting the scheme to fit the player. I don't think the Jets have done that. They have tried to fit the player into the scheme. Now, when they drafted him, they thought he was the ideal fit for this West Coast Shanahan-style offense. That does not appear to be the case. He struggles to play within the structure of the offense. It's a timing and rhythm-based offense, and Wilson is anything but a timing and rhythm passer. He likes to go off schedule, off script, outside the pocket, and create. He's just not that kind of quarterback to be within structure, within the pocket. And so there's failings on multiple levels that the Jets are going to have to figure out how to fix in the offseason. Next question from at Yankees Jets fan one. I have no stats to back this up, but it seems like the Jets defense never gets a three and out. Where do they rank in the NFL in three and outs? Of course, I have the stats. They rank 21st which is actually low. I thought they'd be higher considering where they are in other statistical categories, but they get a three and out on only 20% of the drives. I think one of the reasons for that is scheme and philosophy. The Jets are a zone-based defense. Essentially, if you want to call it bends but don't break, that does not lend itself to a lot of three and outs. The idea is to limit explosive plays and in turn limit scoring. 
And they've done a good job with that, but obviously three and out, not one of their fortes. Next one from at Double Eagle 1907. This is a forest versus the trees analysis on the 21 draft. If Zach Wilson was so good, how come he wasn't the starter at BYU in 2019? He also raises some questions about the level of competition he faced. Uh, he In 2019, Zach Wilson started only nine games, but it was uh, he had a hand injury on his right hand, his throwing hand, that required surgery, so he missed, missed a bunch of games. Zach Wilson was essentially, except for a, very early in his freshman year, he was the starter at BYU. However, he was in an open competition going into his final year in 2020. He obviously won that job, and he had a ridiculously good and productive year after that. However, as you allude to, it came against really soft competition. It was a COVID year. BYU had to put together a schedule. They didn't face any Power 5 opponents, and Wilson feasted on bad competition, and I think that was a factor in perhaps why he's struggling right now, and the Jets did not see that as a factor. Obviously, they went ahead and drafted him anyway. We talked about it ad nauseum before the draft. That Steve Simon says, why the heck was Zach Wilson sitting on the sideline not holding an iPad, not engaging with other quarterbacks? Seems like he's checked out, not dialed in to getting better. Well, that's a tricky one, Steve, because he was like the fourth quarterback in this game. He was inactive. So there really was no responsibility on the sideline except other maybe to cheer on their teammates. So I'm not sure how much you expected him to do. Um, did he look checked out? Yeah, he obviously did look checked out. Um, could he have been in you know the huddles and helping and so forth? Yeah, I suppose he could have, but in that he probably just wanted to stay out of the way as well. Uh, so you have the backup quarterback who is dealing most closely with the starter in situations like that. So, um, so yeah, it's it's a bad optic, but I think there are reasons behind it. And the next question from at Yeselson, uh, Rich, the Jets might cut some high-priced veterans who haven't been as good as hoped. Who of them makes the most sense to keep, if any, out of Davis? Uh, mentions Mims, Moore, Lawson, Tomlinson, Berrios. Well, I think Corey Davis will be released. Uh, he's got an $11.2 million cap charge next year. Obviously, he has not lived up to that. Um, Carl Lawson has a $15.3 million cap charge, which is a lot. He's got seven sacks. He's having an okay year. I think that will be a tougher question for the Jets. It could go either way. Lakin Tomlinson is not going anywhere. His cap number is over $17 million. If they cut him, even with the post-June 1 designation, they will still get $14 million in dead money on their cap, so they'd only save $3 million. I think it probably makes sense to keep him, in spite of the fact that you are right, he has not had a great year. Braxton Berrios could be a cap casualty. It hasn't happened for Braxton this year. He's counting 8.2. If they cut him, they save $5 million. I think that one would certainly be one to keep an eye on. The Jets will have some cap moves in the offseason. Next one from Eric. At Eric Klein, Ph.D. Rich, why does the defense seem to continually struggle covering the tight end position? Is it more about the scheme or their personnel? And you are absolutely right, Eric. The Jets have given up 87 catches to tight ends. That is 27th in the league. They've given up 954 yards. That is 26th in the league. I think it's mainly a personnel issue. And the re I mean, their safeties aren't great in pass coverage. Uh, these were, there's a reason Jordan Whitehead 
didn't go back to Tampa. Tampa felt that he had some pass coverage issues. Uh, pretty good in the box, not great in coverage. Uh, LaMarcus Joyner, uh, fast. We saw him run down Kenneth Walker. You know, that, that took some speed, but not great in pass coverage as a safety. Uh, really didn't play a whole lot of safety in his career. It was more of a nickel corner. So, yeah, it's an issue. I also think, and we can't overlook the fact that teams are targeting the tight ends because the Jets' corners are so good. No one is throwing on DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner. I think the quarterbacks are picking on the, you know, on the safeties and, and the linebackers when throwing to the tight end in the middle of the field. So maybe the Jets are a little victim of their own success there with at cornerback, but you're right, the tight end coverage has to get better. Next one, at GT Hurley 999, do you think Derek Carr is a good fit for the Jets? I don't. He doesn't do well in the cold. What do you think of Baker Mayfield instead? I think Baker Mayfield would be a disaster in New York. I would not touch him. I think one of the reasons with Carr, he's never really had a good defense. If you go back and look through his career, the Raiders have never been better than 20th in points allowed. The last three years, 25th, 26th, 30th. So he's always been forced to throw a lot, playing a lot of catch-up. I think he could be effective on a team like the Jets where you're going to have a good defense and something that Carr has not had throughout his career. So I do think he could be effective with the Jets. Uh, I haven't looked up the cold weather stat. He obviously has not played a whole lot of football games in the cold weather given his background. But I think that's perhaps overrated in, in some respects. Next one from at J underscore D underscore five one. Why do you think Joe Douglas has managed to avoid scrutiny through most of his tenure? Four years, offensive line only slightly improved. Quarterback still a question mark. At what point does ownership look at his overall resume and start to question his decision making? Well, obviously, the biggest question is his decision to draft Zach Wilson, which looks like a fail right now. There's no two ways about it. How The 20 draft also looks like a fail. Becton, Mims, etc. Ashton Davis hasn't worked out. 21 draft, you know, other than Wilson, I think the 21 draft has been pretty solid. I think Elijah Moore's still a good player. Vera Tucker's a real good player. And I think Michael Carter has not had a great year, but I still think he can be a good complimentary running back. 22 draft, outstanding, of course, because I think Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson have been excellent. And Joe Douglas's free agent moves have been okay. I mean, DJ Reed's been excellent. Some others haven't worked out, but I think he's done okay in the area of pro free agency. He's got four, I think he's got two years left on his contract. I don't think he's going anywhere. He's running this organization. I still think the ownership has faith in him, although I think he's going to need to do some explaining on this Zach Wilson pick for sure, because you can't miss on the number two pick in the draft, and it appears that he has. And the Jets wrap up the 2022 season in Miami, Sunday, 1 p.m. kickoff. So much for flexing. There was some thought that that could be the Sunday night game or even Saturday night, but the Jets, uh, they basically eliminated that possibility because now it is meaningless for them. Miami still has a chance to get in the playoffs. This kind of reminds me of the 2013 and 14 endings, both seasons ending in Miami. And it, prior to each of those games, there were questions swirling around the coaching staff. And in 2013, the Jets played a great game and 
saved Rex Ryan's job. There was some thought that John Itzig would fire him. They win the game. They're celebrating in the locker room. Everything appeared great in the Jet universe. Woody Johnson comes out. Rex is back. Got a contract extension, although we found out weeks later it wasn't nearly as much as he was hoping for. And I think he considered walking away at that point, but he didn't. He came back in 2014, which was a total disaster. They ended the season again in Miami, beat Miami, but only a 4-12 and record. Rex could not survive it. Itzik did not survive it. Woody fired them both. As we noted earlier, those are the last two firings he's made as the Jets' owner. And uh, I remember it because I was racing to the stadium. I take a wrong turn. I make a, a legal U-turn with my rent-a-car, crash my right front tire into a curb, blow out the tire, try to drive a little bit on it. Not a good idea. Try roadside assistance. They tell me a few hours. So I bail on the car, get a ride to the stadium from another rider. And I think that car remains on the side of that road for several days afterwards and became uh, quite bothersome to try to resolve that situation with the car rental company. But that's a story for another day. Uh, the Jets looks like they're going to they won't be facing Tua Tagovailoa because he's got the uh, still in the concussion protocol. So they're going to face either Teddy Bridgewater, who's got a right pinky injury on his throwing hand or rookie Skylar Thompson. The Jets are very familiar with Thompson. They beat him earlier in the season at MetLife when Bridgewater went out very, very early in that game on that Sauce Gardner play in the end zone, which was a safety. So the Jets beat up Thompson, who's, uh, like we said, he's a rookie, a lower-round draft pick. The Jets have been feasting on backup quarterbacks this year, so they're obviously going to get one in this game. And it uh, doesn't matter. I'm going to pick Miami here. They have the motivation. They still have the shot at the playoffs. The Jets... Season is effectively over, and uh, they're, they're in such a mental funk from this five-game losing streak that I do not see them getting off the mat. I think they will go out with a whimper into what could be a very, very uh, turbulent offseason. It'll be interesting, but no, I am not picking the Jets here. I think they will lose by at least one score. And we'll see if Miami can somehow sneak their way into the playoffs. Funny thing is, if the Jets win, the hated Patriots go to the playoffs. I don't think Robert Sala would like to see that. Um, you know, a lot of conflicting emotions here. But the bottom line is, I don't see the Jets winning this game. Uh, we will talk about it next week. We will, <coughs> we will begin our postmortem on the season that was next week. For now, I want to thank our producer, Jeff Scopin. For doing a great job, and we will talk to you next week on Flight Deck. Flight Deck.